13. Uh, how many of you young people are going to help me preach tonight? Have you still got some energy left for the preaching? Hallelujah. We're in trouble. <clears throat> how many of you were distracted earlier and now you're hearing me and you're going to help me preach tonight? <laughs> I told Brother Smith, I said, I've got a $10,000 message. Do you think he wants all of it tonight? <laughs> he said he probably does. So uh, I'll try to keep it under two hours. And uh, <clears throat> Not really. 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 13. <clears throat> and saith the proverb of the ancients. Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom doth he pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? I want you to say those two sentences with me are questions. Would you help me say that? After a dead dog? After a flea, who in the world would chase those kind of things? Who would be searching for a dead dog? Who's after a flea? I want to preach to you for the next few minutes. And this is the title of my message, Best's Greatest Enemy. And I know that's kind of hard to say, but I'm preaching about the enemy of the best that you can be. The best that you can be has an enemy. And I want to talk about who that enemy is tonight. Would you just lift your hands one more time ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Jesus, dear Lord, I need your help tonight. I ask you to hide me behind the cross of Calvary. God, in the name of Jesus, don't let them see me or my flesh, God, but somehow let someone see Jesus before we're through tonight. God, I need Your mercy. I need Your grace. I need Your anointing. And I need Your help right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. God bless you. You can be seated. <clears throat> Too many times I am afraid that the devil fools us and tricks us into measuring ourselves among ourselves. He wants you to measure yourself against those sitting around you. He wants you to measure yourself against the other young people in your youth group. He wants you to ask yourself whenever you feel conviction or condemnation. Uh, he wants you to ask yourself, well, I wonder if I pray more than my friend. I wonder if I'm doing better living for God than the other guys sitting on the pew around me. And we, won't, we tend to feel good whenever some of our youth group or one in the youth group stops coming to church. Maybe you see them uh, somewhere in town and they're not living right anymore. It's obvious that they're not coming back. And somehow that at times, if we're not careful, will give a sense of approval on where we are. And we'll almost tell ourselves, well, you know, I must be doing pretty good. At least 
I'm not backsliding. At least I, I haven't quit. At least I haven't given up. The devil will tend to pat you on the back and say, See there, there's no sense in you doing any better than you're doing. At least you're hanging in there. At least you're staying with God. But the Bible tells us that uh, we're not to use this kind of a measuring stick. The Bible tells us if you measure yourselves among yourselves, you do not well. And the reason why is because it is an inaccurate sense of measure. The real measuring stick is not, am I doing better than my peers? The real measuring stick is how far have I got left to go to be like Jesus Christ? How, how far have I got left to go to be what God has called me to be? How far have I got to go to measure up to the usefulness that God has set in order in my life in the kingdom? I, I'm a little... And I don't want this to sound negative because I'm not going to preach a negative message tonight. But let me make one statement here. I'm a little offset lately uh, when I get to looking around and recognizing that I'm not hearing. Maybe it's just a Mississippi problem. I'm sure you probably don't have that problem down here. But in Mississippi, I'm, I'm lacking, I'm longing to hear young people talk like they talked when I was a young person. Not lifting my generation up any higher than this one, because every generation has their problems. Every generation has their strong points and their weaknesses. But I used to hear a lot of, I wonder how God wants to use me. I used to hear a lot of young ladies that had an aspiration of being a, a preacher's wife. They'd talk about being an evangelist wife or young ladies that would talk about uh, being missionaries and going overseas onto the mission field. And young men that would talk about a missionary dream or a pulpit ministry or wanting to be a Bible study teacher or or young girls that had a desire to be a prayer warrior. I'm just not sure that I'm hearing that as much as I used to. It almost seems like Satan has shifted their vision. And young people today, it seems, it may not be that way. I hope you prove me wrong tonight. That's what I'm wanting to happen. I'm wanting to stir something up in you that says, Brother Copeland, let me show you some young people that's not like the run of the mill. That's not like the... That's what I'm wanting. That's what I'm desiring to hear in this place tonight. To establish, to establish my feelings, I found something the other day that I did not go looking for. I, I received a periodical and it said that not just in uh, the denominal world, but also among the Pentecostal ranks, uh, there is a problem uh, with young preachers going into the ministry. One group said by 2020, we will not have enough preachers to fill the pulpits of the retiring ministry. There is a drastic drop in young men that are desiring and aspiring to a pulpit ministry. I thought to myself, why is this taking place? What's going on? What's happening? What, What is it that's stopping young people from becoming the best They can be for God. And what is it among their parents? 
that seemed to be happy as long as they hadn't quit going to church. When did we lower the bar? When did the greatest hope and aspiration of a parent be if they can just be living for God? If they can just not quit church? My God, have mercy on us! Whenever our greatest aspiration is that our children get married and buy a brick house and raise some kids with a picket fence and drive a nice car and have plenty of money for the mall, teach a Sunday school class, maybe sing in the choir, and we're happy and we're thrilled. I'm telling you somewhere, if we do not raise the bar, our, 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 our prayer rooms will lose the sound of those that know how to travail. Somewhere, if we don't get the bar back up, my God have mercy, the intercessors will be a thing of the past. It is said of Beethoven, It is said of Beethoven that his best died still in him. Because Beethoven died in his 30s, they recognized that he did not have time to ripen in season. As great as Beethoven was by 30, tell me how awesome he could have been by 60. It is said that his greatest concertos died within him. It is said that his greatest symphonies were never heard because he died too young. I am convinced that that there are young people sitting all over the pews of this church. Would you humor me just a little bit? Would you take your finger, young person, and say, He's talking to me right now. I'm the one he's talking to right now. Come on, keep doing it. Not the person sitting on my left. Not the person sitting on my right. Not anybody in front or in back of me. He's talking to me right now. I am convinced that everyone, every young person that's raised in the church are filled with the Holy Ghost while they're a teen. I am convinced that you have a God-given gift to your church and to your pastor. I am convinced that there are talents inside of you that God put there when He filled you with the Holy Ghost. You are a gift to your church. You are a gift to your man of God. You are a gift from God to the young people that sit around you. You will not be a success measured on what kind of job you land. You will not be a success on what your diploma from college says. And I'm not talking against that. I'm encouraging you. Get an education. Be the best that you can be. But don't use that measuring stick to measure whether you're a success or not. Vehicles are not a measure of success. Houses are not a measure of success. Bank accounts are not a measure of success. I'm telling you, if the best you can be from God is not squeezed out of you before you get to adulthood, you have failed. No matter how rich you become. Now you say, what a statement, Brother Copeland. 
You're telling me if my best is not squeezed out of me. I'm telling you there is talent and there is ability inside you. That Satan is after you. i got to say this. I may not get back to my notes. I, I may just, this, it, it may end right here. This may be as far as I go. But I'm telling you, young person, you are in a race against time to adulthood. And two forces are after you. All of heaven is trying to get the best that God put in you squeezed out the top before you get married. And at the same time, Satan and all of his imps have made up in their mind to destroy you, to mark you sexually, to rip your purity away from you, to ruin the confidence that your church has in you. Every force of the enemy is trying to put a cap on what you can be. He wants to mar your reputation. He wants to mar your character before you can be what God wants you to be. And I'm going to tell you something. You may be here tonight just to get through a youth service. You may be here tonight. You may have ha, 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 laughed all the way. You may be totally oblivious to what's going on. But let me just tell you right now that you may not be serious, but I want you to know Satan is here. And he's not playing games. He is here with every force that hell has to offer. He is here with all the power sources of the enemy. And I want you to know he's after you. He is after you. He has a desire to mark you. He has a desire to end you. He has a desire... If he can't stop you completely, and don't hang on, hang on, it's going to turn. Okay, just bear with me just a minute. If he can't mar you, then he wants to affect you to where you think you are so marred that you can never, ever, ever do anything for God again. Our churches are full of young people that have made mistakes, that have failed. Our churches are full of young people that have stumbled and they don't want to tell nobody. And they marginalize themselves and they set themselves on a pew and say, it's over for me. You know what? If I can just go to church and raise my family in the church... That's about all I can do now. I want you to know I have come to drive that spirit out. I have come... Oh, Lord, have mercy. I've come to tell you there's talent in you. There is ability in you. There's God-given gifts put in you. And Satan's doing everything. You hear what I'm telling you right now concerning this great apostolic church. The greatest singers have not yet sang their first song. The best preachers have not yet preached their first message. The best songs remain unwritten. The greatest pastors have not even taken churches yet. The best missionaries have never been across the ocean. The best youth pastors have never arrived to even teach a Sunday school class. They're sitting on these pews right now. You're bigger than your mistake. You're bigger than your failure. You're greater than just sitting on a pew. I want to challenge you. Arise!
rise to the occasion. Arise to the occasion. Get up and let God make you the best. The best you can be for God. Too many people, you can be seated. Too many people are spending their life for trash. Too many people, hey listen, there's a world out there chasing trivial things. There is a world out there that is after the trivial. Their their entire goal is the next dirt bike. Their entire goal is the next gaming station that's going to be produced from Microsoft or or whoever. Their greatest goal is the next jet flying uh, simulator that they can put on their... That's what their mind is on. The next iPod. the, The next number one hit that's going to hit the market. They're looking for their artist that they love and follow to produce their next song that'll sell 10 million. That's all they're after. And you know what? I suppose that life's always been this way. You know what? We're at war with Iraq. We got men in Afghanistan. We got an important presidential election that is on the horizon. Hurricanes are wiping out coastlines to the multiplied billions of dollars. And you know what's on the front page of the paper? What movie star married who? And who's having whose baby? And who, who's going to China or Korea and adopting a child from some third world country? That's what we're absorbing. That's what thinking about the trivial when there are so many important things all around us. But you know what? This isn't a modern day problem. This goes all the way back to a man by the name of Saul. You know what? Saul was like Esau. Saul knew how to weep, but he didn't know how to change. He knew what he was doing was wrong, but he couldn't manage to turn. And here is Saul. And Saul is chasing a little boy spending untold amounts of money sending out soldiers to find a little boy. Now you've got to keep in mind that Saul Saul was a man that stood head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. Saul would have been the envy of Samson. Samson would have envied Saul. Saul was intimate with Samuel. That was his pastor. That was his man of God. And he was intimate with that man of God, close to that man of God. Saul marshaled the greatest army of his day. He sat on the throne of the greatest kingdom of his time. He was a man of untold riches and untold importance. He had great things to be doing. He had diplomacy with other nations. He had wars and battles going on with other nations. And what was Saul doing? He was out chasing a shepherd boy that liked to play a harp on the hillside. Wasting away with the trivial and the unimportant. Caught up with something that he should have very well left alone. Important.
things on his schedule. And this is what he was doing. You know, you know what Saul is. Saul is the type of all who use God-given endowments and physical prowess and mental acumen and spiritual advantage in search of what matters little. There's young people sitting right here. You're not smart just because you're above average. You're smart because God gave it to you as a gift. You've got personality, not just because it's in your genes. It's a gift of God. Some of you have natural music ability. You have natural ability to do great things. It's in you. You know it's there. Your parents tell you it's there. And you've got a choice right now over whether you're going to use your mind and your spirit and your talents to go after the things of this world, to accumulate the things that this life has to offer, or whether you're going to say, you know what, I'm bigger than that, and I'm better than that. I've got a higher goal. The world wants you to use your abilities to go out partying. The world wants you to use your looks, your beauty, or your good looks, your handsome way, your debonairing way, young man. God, Satan wants to take you out of the hands of God and put you in the world. Some of you could go run with the best of them. Oh yes, you could. You could party with the best of them. You've got the looks, you've got the personality, you've got the way about you. Yes, you could, but you know what? You didn't just get it. You didn't just arrive there. God gave you what you have. You know what? You could go out smoking. You could go out partying. You could go out drinking. And some people think that's what puts the mark on them. That's what makes me somebody. The more girlfriends I can get, the more guys. That's what will bring me to some kind of preeminence. And I want to stop just a minute. And I want to ask you, does all that really prove you're somebody? When you can drink everybody else under the table, does that really make you somebody? When you can smoke, does that really make you, does that really make you cool? Does getting involved sexually with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, does that really bring you to some kind of adulthood or machoism or whatever? Does that really make you cutting edge? Does that really make you, well let me just give you a few statistics. I've got a school principal here, he can back up what I'm saying. I just read in Reader's Digest not long ago that, that Kids in elementary school. I'm not talking about middle school. They're catching elementary kids uh, performing sex acts in the schools. They've got they got kids recorded as young as six years old already smoking cigarettes. Kids in grade school that are telling that they've already tried alcohol. They've already smoked a joint. Somebody's already gave them pills to pop. Can I? Can you imagine? That you got these little tots that can cuss like a sailor. By middle school, they're smoking, they're drinking, they've done drugs, they can cuss as well as any big guy. They're fighting, they're involved in sexuality. And then some 20-year-old boy leaves the church to be pulled into the world. And he gets him a pack of cigarettes. Or he gives him a beer. And all of a sudden, he, he, the way he walks changes. He, he, he's somebody. He's bad now, boy. He, 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 because he's smoking and he's drinking and he's found him a woman. He, 
You, you know, all you're doing is what a six-year-old can do. You haven't proven a thing. There's elementary kids. And you think you're some kind of man. You, you think you're big and bad and tough. Great schoolers can outcuss you. Girls that want to... And, and, and again, I'm going to move off. Just, just bear with me just a minute. Every once in a while, we have young people that slip out and they want to... They uh, and, and listen to me. Listen to what I'm telling you. The problem isn't when sinners are doing it. And you know what? God don't like sin. It doesn't matter who's doing it. But God don't really get angry because you know what? He knows the world's the world. That's not really where the problem lies. You know, God didn't get angry at Sodom and Gomorrah till Lot and his family started getting involved. There wasn't any problem. There wasn't any problem when the Edomites and the Amorites that was doing all they was doing. But when that little old guy went out and got him a worldly girl and come walking up and was performing. Uh, are, are involved in fornication in the very tent door of the tabernacle. That's when Phinehas grabbed his spear. The problem isn't when the world's worldly. The problem is when the church thinks they want to be. Those that have been called out. Those that have been separated. Those that have already come out. But they get to looking back. Those that are raised in the church and think there's something out there that they need. Let me just tell you this. If mama didn't find it bumping bellies on the dance floor, you're not going to, sis. If daddy didn't find it in the bottom of a beer bottle, you're not going to find your answer there. If your parents didn't find it smoking joints, you're not going to find it somewhere in a crack house or a cocaine hole. Please, please, please let the 70s and the 80s and the 90s show us that the answer isn't in the parties. The answer isn't in the nightclubs. The answer isn't in the beer joints and the pool halls. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's doing that. Is that what you want to be? Just what everybody else is? Would somebody, I know that you will, would somebody stand up and say, I am not going to throw myself away. I am not going to prostitute my potential. I'm not going to give my looks and my beauties and my talents to the devil to waste me on the sandy bitches of this world. You can be seated. I'm almost through. This is what Saul did. Saul's the time, the type who lives a life that leads to regret. He's the forerunner of all who waste and expend the gifts of God to follow the paths. Trading priceless wisdom for the trivial. Saul's the type. He's the type that misses the message on the man. 
He's the type that misses the service on suspicion. He's the kind who always misses the main event for the side show. Saul is the forerunner of those that become slaves to small ideas and anxiety and fear, jealousy and suspicion and offense. He misses his deliverance on criticism. Kitty cat, kitty cat, where have you been? I've been to London to see the Queen. Kitty cat, kitty cat, what, what saw you there? I saw a mouse under the Queen's chair. Not the tapestries, not the jewels of Britain, not the changing of the guard. Not the royal throne, not the king's crown or the queen's tiara. A mouse! Young people, Satan wants you to come into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wants you to sit in services where God is calling people to deep spiritual travail. He wants you to sit in services where people step into realms they've never been before spiritually. He wants you to sit in the tabernacle where the power of God would lead you into the intercession ministry. And He wants you to miss all that. Because you're caught up in who you think's angry at you. Or who didn't speak to you. Or who's texting you in church. Or who's writing that note about that cute boy. Or that, that good looking girl. He wants you to sit in the tabernacle of the Almighty. He wants you to miss all the jewels of the things that can be found in the house of God. While you, if you're not careful, No, you're not doping. No, no, no. You're not listening to ungodly music unless some third cousin, fourth removed from your cousin's neighbor's dog might be getting married, so naturally you've got to help them listen to wedding music. <laughs> no, you're not doing all those things. I'm preaching to you while justifying what you're not doing. If you were not careful, you will miss out when God comes by with a ministry that would bring you to your best. Not doing anything wrong, just not looking for the right things because you're satisfied, because you're just still coming to church. I'm still in the church. Hadn't quit, Mom and Daddy. I'm, I'm still in the church. Satan says get satisfaction, get degrees, get a good job, get status in the community, get, get bank accounts, get married. Huh? You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to get drunk on Babylon. Not in sin, but just drunk on the things of the world. That's where Lot was. Lot was vexed with the evil. But he wasn't on the mountain sacrificing with Abraham either. He was caught in between. Lot was justifying himself because he wasn't in Sodom. He wasn't doing what Sodom was doing. 
In fact, he took great pride squaring his shoulders and saying, they shouldn't do this. This is evil. But pray tell me a lot. Why on Sunday you're not up there with Uncle Abraham slaying that lamb and sacrificing with him? Where's the report, Lot, of where you sacrificed? Sixty-six books, Lot! Not one place do we find you recorded sacrificing! Because now I'm going to tell you, the greatest enemy to the best you can be for God is not the worst you can be. The greatest enemy that will ever be to the best you can be in God is I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. The only problem is that the church that God's going to take out of here in these last days can't do what they need to do doing pretty good. Somewhere there's got to arise some young ladies that know how to intercede like Grandma. Somewhere there's got to be some guys that know that book like Grandpa did. That can quote it Scripture chapter and verse. Somewhere there's got to be some young people that says, no, no good going to church, sitting on the pew, isn't enough for me. God, You put it in me. I'm going to help you get it out. Pastor, I'm going to be the best thing that ever happened to your church. I'm not trying to be proud. I'm not trying to be arrogant. But you see me? I'm going to be something for God. You hear me? I'm going to be something for the kingdom. I gotta get through. I gotta get through and I, I, I will quickly, I promise you. Be seated. Listen to this statement right here. Because it's not gonna sound right to you. But in spite of it not sounding right, it's still right. Because this is all I've ever been. This is all I've ever known. Satan does not necessarily want you to backslide. Satan does not necessarily want you out there in the clubs. He don't want you drinking. He don't want you shooting up. You know why? Because you can be a lot greater key to him. Staying right here in the church, stepping back and forth across the line. Now, 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 now listen to me. The fornicators out there among the Philistines and the sodomy and all that that was going on, that never we never find God getting angry about that. He didn't like it. He hated it. And then on the other extreme, you had the priest that was going into the holiest of holies. And you know what? God's cool with all that. The Israelites are separating themselves and doing what's right. The Philistines, they're doing all kind of ungodliness and sin. There was not a problem until one of those priests touched a little bit of the Philistine ways and then stepped into the holiest of holies. The problem is the mixing of the two. We never see the wrath of God until the two start mixing. 
Our problem is not the people praying through in our churches out of the world that don't know anything else. Our problem is the ones that's been in the church for years that for some reason, they don't want to backslide. They don't want to go out in the world. They don't want to do all that. They they don't want to walk in darkness, but they don't mind a quick stroll in the shade. The problem isn't the fornicator. The problem's the fornicator in the choir. That's when God gets angry. The problem isn't the one that's still not doing right that just got in the church and is trying to line up. The problem is the one that's been in the church for years, but somewhere decided they were going to sell out all the talents and all the gifts and all the abilities that God gave them because they saw the things of the world and it attracted them. The peril of Pentecost... Peril of Pentecost, if we're not careful, will not be all those that are leaving and backsliding, but all of those that want to mix the church and the world. I'm not in sin, but neither am I praying. I'm not doing ungodly things, but neither am I consecrated. You know what, Mama? ought to be happy because at least I hadn't quit. You could have me in the world. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I want to plead with you, young people. Now, you said, Brother Copeland, you made a statement I, I don't agree with. I believe the devil does want me out there. Hang on just a minute. When young people leave and backslide, the prayer warriors start praying. When you leave completely and backslide, they call a chain fast. When you leave completely and just go to the world, everybody gets in a dither and the church gets fired up. But you see a young person that's just doing pretty good but not getting the bet, giving their best to God. You know what they're like? They're like a blind warrior. They're like a circumcised army. They're like a declawed tiger or a defanged lion. This is how doing good is the enemy of not just you, but your pastor and your church and everything else. This generation is different than any other generation. You know why? You don't have time to be a prodigal. This generation is different than any other generation. You don't have time to go out there and sow your wild oats and see what it's about and come back. This is the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. And I am challenging the young people in this youth rally. Somebody here, you know what? I hope it's every one of you. I hope it's every one. But if it's just five, do you hear me? If it's just two, if, if, if I could just get off, I would be a success tonight if one young lady and one young man said, Brother Copeland, you've lit a fire in my belly. I've made up my mind. This generation has got to have a Samuel. This generation has got to have a Moses. This generation has got to have a Joseph. 
Please keep standing. Everybody's standing. Musicians, come please. You need to change Satan's plan. I'm going to tell you, God has equipped you. And the church has readied you. You stand 15 seconds from change. You say, what are you talking about? The amount of time it takes you to come out of that pew and get to the front of this building and say, here I am, God. Here I am. You're next Moses. I'm not trying to brag, God. But I, I here I am. Here I am. I'm here. You're next David. You're next Tinoch. You're next Phinehas. We will not confuse our values. We are not going to break away. We will remember what matters most. Let's lift our hands together. Everybody here. There's young people sitting here in this tabernacle. Nobody looking around. Please, 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 please. Give me five minutes to talk to you from my heart. Give me five minutes to talk to you from my heart. And I'm opening these altars. Satan, nobody looking around, please. Everybody ever got close. You don't believe this. But Satan is scared to death of what's inside you. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that when God fills you with the Holy Ghost, He also puts in you a gift to be used for God. He tells you, oh, it's just a little date. He tells you, oh, it's just a little catchy song. It's just a flirtation with that guy. I know he don't live right, but it's just a flirtation. You hear what I'm telling you? Satan's not playing games. When you play with Satan, he's playing for keeps. He's playing for keeps, do you hear me? Now listen to me. He's not after you. You gotta hear what I'm telling you tonight. Satan is not after you. Do you hear me, young person? The devil's not after you. He don't want you. You know how I know that? Because when he gets through with you, he'll wad you up and throw you away like a paper cup. He's not after you. He's after what's in you. That talent and that ability God put in you to make a paradigm shift in people's lives in these last days. He's after what's in you. What God put in you to help your pastor and your church bring landslide revival. Once He destroys that, He'll throw you away on the rocks of life. Why do you preach that? I'm going to tell you why. You're ready. You're ready. Some of you that just prayed through in this church, 
If this just became your church, you hear what I'm telling you. Don't you think you came too late? Don't you think you're cheated because you wasn't raised in this church? You know what he said? He said those that come in in the last part of the day, you pay them the same penny as those that started in the morning. There's not a one of you that's in this church right now that may be new to this church. There's not a one of you that are expendable. You're here because God handpicked you to do something for God. And I want some warriors right now. I mean, I want some young people with a made-up mind to look the devil in the eye and say, you didn't put my gift in me and you're not going to get it out. Do you understand me? I know you don't want me. You'll throw me away. You're after my gift. But you see me, devil? I'm going to be used of God. Hey, there's some young people here. You need to tell your pastor before you leave. Hey, pastor, I'm with you. You're going to see a different young person when I go home. The world don't draw me. The devil don't tempt me. Here I come. Here I come, church. My God, my God, my God, my God. Somebody get mad at the devil. Somebody get mad at the enemy. Oh, oh. Where are you, Phinehas? Where are you, Moses? Where are you, Mary? Where are you, Hannah? Hannah! Hannah! Where are you, Hannah? Where are you that a week till God gives you children? Where are you, Hannah, that a week till you touch God? Where are you, Mary, that God can overshadow and bring a church out of your loins? Where are you? Where are you, David? Where are you, Daniel? Where are you, Phinehas? Get your spear, Phinehas, and say, I'm ready to stand for this truth. I'm ready to do a work for the king.